Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, January 30th, 2022. Hey everyone, I'm John Vanderbilt. Good morning, I'm Simone Halpin. And I'm Kelly Brady, and this is the Next Level Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, hello. No Starbucks today. I know, I'm cutting back. I'm drinking tea. Well, we did an hour and a half podcast last week, so, you know, maybe it's good. (laughs) Today's looking potentially similar. (laughs) We got a lot of questions today. (laughs) A lot of good questions. (laughs) Yes. Um, But I admit, I felt like uh, Sunday was was really good. Mm -hmm. Loved your sermon. Thought you did a great job. Thanks. Yeah, man. I loved your worship leadership, Matt. Oh, this is so nice. <laughs> Bros. I loved your presence okay. on the platform. Okay, all right. Um, somebody uh, said to me, I absolutely love it when we have a violin uh, playing, and it just it went so well with the musical yeah. instrument make uh, mm-hmm. makeup that you had. Yeah, we had a new so, instrument on stage. Yeah. We had a mandolin, for those who are wondering what that was. It's a mandolin, and there's a funny story behind it. Um, so I got Jennifer a mandolin. That was her Christmas present this year. She's always wanted one. Nice. And, um, and a mandolin is not like a guitar, right? It's exactly like a violin. It's, it's uh, tuned like a violin, so the chords are completely different. So I told her, like, man, I think a really good goal would be like at, by the end of 2022 maybe you know you could be up and playing like oh, in worship and she crushed she's that like goal. okay okay and you know she's like how about january <laughs> no i was like Buddy. how about january she was like <laughs> but she did a good job mm-hmm. and uh, it's a fun instrument there's we, there's not another instrument that really lives up in that frequency range hmm. and so it's really nice it adds a nice um, timbre to the band mm. awesome yeah all right, let's do this. How many questions right, we got? We're jumping right in. Seventeen. All right, no problem. We'll we want to talk about the Chiefs. Off. Go ahead, uh, pour it on. I talk about it when they win. I could talk about it when we lose. Yeah. Mahomes can have a bad game or a bad ending. It was just a bad ending on it his was. part. Mm-hmm. It was. It just. It came apart. He came apart. So. I think there's a lot of it Rams happens. fans in the area because of. What's his face's connection to Detroit? Yeah, I'm happy for Staff. I hope he gets one. You yeah, know? Stafford, I hope Steve. he gets one. He had a bad, bad hand there being dealt to mm-hmm. Detroit. Mm-hmm. And he's a great quarterback, so maybe he'll get one. So that that's a kind of stacked, too, isn't it? The Rams. They're kind of stacked. They've got some talent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not stacked like the Chiefs, but. <laughs> Doesn't matter I now, mean, does it? <laughs> it's not like you have the best quarterback, the best yeah, the best wide receiver. I know, I know. And apparently they're all <laughs> mental head cases. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Chiefs Kingdom. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right, here we go. Um, question number one. What can the church do with its programming, especially for students, to make it more, affordably finan- uh, more affordable financially so a more diverse population can participate? Oh, and I should mention, I'll jump in. Um, We got a lot of questions, Mm. and there was overlap to the questions. So we Mm. have tweaked, edited some of these uh, questions to... um to kill multiple birds with one stone. So we can get it all in in an hour. So you may not recognize your question specifically, uh, but hopefully the heart of your question, if you submitted one, will be addressed. I can take a stab at this. Feel free to jump in if you'd like. Um, So the question of what can we do to make programming more affordable to everyone um, 
and there's an assumption lying in here that those of the more diverse population in our community don't have the means to afford our programming, which I would caution on that statement and that assumption. But still, the idea that um, how do we how do we make programming, especially for students, because it's such a large group yeah. in our in our church. A couple things to note: just I mean, it is a ongoing every day discussion in our student ministries is what kind of program can we offer that is um, accessible for everybody and so um, the conversation of what can the church subsidize and how do we get scholarships and how do we invite kids uh, with an invitation of hey let's you know we got this covered for you to this time or um, how do we make everybody know that there's scholarship funds available? I mean, all those conversations just, I mean, that is really a big part of the youth ministry kind of world and discussions. It's one of the things that, I mean, the the general church budget will, will use funds to help uh, with student ministry events, to subsidize costs. So we're constantly kind of working and talking and wanting to make sure that we aren't excluding anybody because of money or... Uh, having the appearance that you have to have a lot of money to come here or to be a part of things, and and it's a real it's a real uh, discussion. Lots of work that goes around it. Um, but one of the things I would say is, you know, the the bulk of our programming is totally free. <laughs> um, there's no there's no even sign up process that you have to go to. So if you're in sixth through twelfth grade. There's two options every single week for you to come, to be included, to be a part of the community, to learn and to grow. Um, in our high school program, that, there's a, f- a free meal that's included as well. And, and so the barrier for the vast majority of participation is very, very low. Okay. I mean, it's, it's free mm. to right. come. So that's every week. Every week. In the ministry Twice year, a week. Both high twice schoolers. Twice a week. Yeah. We have programming. Yeah. So you, as a high schooler, you can participate twice a week. As a middle schooler, you can participate twice a week. And it's totally and completely free and open to, to anyone. And lots of people invite their friends. And there's all sorts of different demographics represented. represented. Um, but they also work hard to have lower cost options as well. That's something that over the last few years they've really... Uh, tried to focus on so there's you know sledding and ice skating and movie nights and game nights and um, those sorts of activities that are um, they're kind of event based you know it's something fun and different but yet the cost is is lower and then with our one large event um, which happened to just come come and go recently yeah the winter winter camp winter retreat um, you know we work we work hard to to keep the barrier as low as possible but let's all be honest I mean it's it is expensive to travel somewhere and to stay for two nights and be involved in programming and meals and you know everything that goes into that and so the church subsidizes that um, pretty heavily and uh, and we do offer scholarships and and uh, other things to help kids get involved we do off, uh, offer um, students the ability to serve and work here at the church to help offset some of those costs that happens a couple times a year and so um yeah, I mean, we'd lo- we are totally open to listening and, and conversations, you know, that would be helpful as well. And, and parents have helped in the past to say, hey, I think if we did this or have we tried this? And, and everybody's trying to, to work hard at this issue um, to make sure that, you know, both from um, the perception, but then also the reality sure. a- as well. So 
we we do say all the time, never let money be you know an issue. And I realize that it's you know people that are um, that are struggling financially just don't have that margin for extra expenses. That that can sound you know not real or whatever you know like you're just trying to say what the right thing to say is but it's true and we have kids that sign up never ask for a scholarship never pay a dime and still get to participate because we we want to be sensitive to their situations and knowing who, where they're coming from and and those sorts of things so yeah that's great i appreciate the, the so, question yeah what i'm hearing you say is um not only is it on our radar but we are actively doing these things and in addition to that the overwhelming majority of programming we have is 100% free. Yes. And even with a meal. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, and uh, again, man, we are definitely not perfect. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're trying our best and we'd love to, to help and listen. If there are good ideas out there, we'll, we'd, we'll take them. That's great. All right, let's go to the next one. What are some practical ways we can have more diversity in our lives? What can I get involved in to experience life with people who are different from me? Love this question. Me too. Yeah, yeah that's great. Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, my children and my, uh, my family, um, the, the intersection of you know, cultures, uh, cross-cultural experiences came through schools, came through sporting events, <clears throat> we, and some in our neighborhood from time to time. Um, so I, I would, my kids loved being a part of the public schools. Um, they're out of high school now, but, um, and just being, getting to not just study other religions, but getting to know people of other religions. And, um, so it was a great cross-cultural experience for us. Sometimes we did really well there. Sometimes we didn't. Uh, and we, we made the most of those opportunities sometimes and sometimes we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there's a lot of, I mean, getting outside of your kind of normal day in, day out bubble. If you're shopping at the same places and <laughs> involved in the same things and doing, you know, it might mean a change to your, to where you, you go, where you eat, where you shop, um, to get to, to see, interact, be around, um, people that are different than you. Um, I think one of the ways that a, a, a good way to enter sort of into this is to start to serve, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we highlighted three ministries this December, Naomi's House, By the Hand, and OCM, all of which have um, people of diverse mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. not just racially, but mm-hmm. uh, socioeconomically. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a need right now I can mention. Oh, yeah, go yeah. for it. That's awesome. <laughs> Since you brought it up. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday nights, we just launched a new Bible study. It's actually been going on for a couple of months, a Bible study at our new location, and we need people to come bring meals once a week to the participants, and it's about 10 to 12 people. Again, to your point, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different life stories, and for the Capital C Church to come alongside every Wednesday and show up with a meal and really bless these women, it's gone a long way, and so we're running out of volunteers. We need oh, more that's people. awesome. Yeah, so people want to... I will say that one of the things that GBC does really well is food. <laughs> providing... Providing food. Providing meals well. for new babies and we families that are mm-hmm. adopting and struggling. I mean, there's just so... That's awesome. How, mm-hmm. do pe- how can people they can jump just, in? They can reach out to me okay. or info at naomishouse.org. Email Sweet. me. I had a friend who did a white media fast 
one time for a month. It may oh. have even been longer, but let's just say a month because you can wrap your mind around that. And she did not read or listen or watch any white media driven sources and only listened to, read, and watched a media source led by a minority. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And she said it was really hard. It's hard, it's hard to like yeah. uh, find an, enough you know, content and, and sort it out through her own filter. And I don't know. I thought it was an interesting experience, experiment yeah. for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the question is, how can I have more diversity in our lives? It, it makes me think about art and music. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times um, art can be the window into our souls, right? Like it can give you insight into a person or a culture or a greater appreciation. And a lot of times, um, and I'm just going to pick on uh, and single out like rap music here. Um, but, you know, a lot of folks, we'll say in our church, um, would probably have a response to something like that I would have to country music, right? Like, it just doesn't <laughs> resonate with me. I just mm-hmm. don't. I don't like it. I don't get it. It's not for me. It's like, well, okay, well, why don't you try? Like, to, seriously, why don't you try it? Find somebody who is really into uh, rap music and ask them what they like about it. Mm-hmm. Ask them, like, what is it that speaks to you? Uh, watch, watch a documentary. There are so many good documentaries about the evolution of hip-hop out of New York in the 70s and 80s. Like, watch one of those and find out why people uh, are gravitated towards that music, how that movement started. It was, it's got this really cool story of, of its roots and its origin. And, um, you know, like, like, don't just be comfortable saying it's just not my thing. It may not be your thing after you've, you know, you, you may d- deep dive into it and still may not like it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's fine. But, but at least dive into it. Like, at least try to understand what it is about that uh, type of music or art. It could be art. It could be literature. It could be a book. It could be poetry. It could be anything like that. Um, but just just go there, yeah, go there, and, cool. and ask other people what they like about it, why it speaks to them, and try to understand it. Mm-hmm. Like just to bring in some diversity into your life, I think that'd be a great place to start. I liked hearing in um, a couple different uh, situations. I've heard about um, people reaching out to or having coffee with. It came out in the the discussion we had here at church. Um, somebody mentioned having coffee with Robert and pursuing that just Mm -hmm. to, you know, Mm -hmm. I think of things like that, like, you know, just, just ask somebody, (laughs) make a friend. (laughs) Um, and it can be hard and awkward because are you just trying to be my friend because I'm different than you? And and that can be weird. Right. And I get that, but (laughs) in a lot of ways that largely rests on you. Yeah. You know, Um, I mean, I think the sports, what he brought up sports is a great, uh, that's a great way for that conversation to happen naturally. Yeah. Right. Like, and so, but then you hey, have our to, kids are hanging out. Hey, you want to go? Totally. You know? Yeah, totally. Instead of, Grab you know, food. Hey, I'm going to just go to Walmart today. And, and instead of, you know, target or something and right. walk up to someone. And, but like, if you already have that relationship in a sport or whatever, you can in, initiate a conversation and see if it, you know, try to have it, maybe take it to that, you know, that next step, the next level. Um, but then I think the question is with that, right? Like, well, where are my kids playing sports? Yeah. The, you you could probably got to dig a little deeper. Like, what what team is my my son or daughter on? Is it you know a team that costs five hundred bucks to be on? Okay, if that's the case, then you're probably going to be swimming in the same culture, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's Parks and Rec, maybe it might look different. And so I I think there's a question to be asked there too, for sure. Yep. There's something as simple as changing where you exercise, where you work out. You know, certain clubs have certain demographics. And you could really 
diversify your your experiences mm-hmm. by changing the club you work out mm-hmm. in. And, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it, it. We have to be intentional. Yeah. It's not going to... We have to seek it. We have yeah. to seek out trying some new things and putting ourselves outside of our comfort zone. That's a yeah. great point. Um, okay, let's go to the, let's go to the next one. I appreciate your analogy of the church resembling heaven with unity of all people. Glen Ellen demographics are eighty five percent white, six percent Asian, three percent black. Why have there been no sermons, but Bible studies or podcasts focus on welcoming Asians? Yeah, John. Wait, uh, first, first before we before we get into it, that percentage, where does that come from? It, well, did you... so that would be uh, a strictly Glen Ellen, uh, larger population. So it's the, they're accurate. Okay, except and, for the numbers don't add up. But well, and, unless there's only ninety four percent of people living in Glen Ellen right now. Well, and then there's there are mixed race demographics, and so I think here the numbers, strictly speaking, are accurate: six percent Asian, three percent Black in Glen oh, Ellen. Oh, oh, gotcha. However, there's some other categories that are not represented. There are other categories, left and the out. schools are different. Than and this. the schools are vastly different. So, yeah. um, I would say that um, I'd offer a couple responses to this. But um, the sermon on Sunday didn't mention any one color or group. So um, on Sunday's sermon, why have there been no sermons? I would say that uh, there was a sermon. It was on Sunday, and it included all <laughs> races and ethnicities, not, not specifically targeting um, any other, other ones. I, I think I would say that actually of all the the questions we've answered on the podcast and sermons like there's a there's definitely um a lesson that to be learned that this is a we're talking about all skin tones ethnicities like i mentioned that multiple times on sunday um i would say i would also say that um the care center is about 75 percent asian and then the Karen Church meeting in the building is uh, after service, which you are welcome to attend if you want to start to build a bridge to people yeah. that don't be um, live like you do. I encourage you to your show up on Sunday afternoon after everybody leaves the building. There's a vibrant church of 150, 200 people. That's cool. Um, the Karen Church. And uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, those two population groups are ones we spend a lot of time with. Um, I know our care center team has been very intentional about including that group into leadership, into the leadership of the care center. Um, our care center director traveled to Indianapolis not too long ago with um, some uh, uh, people from the Burmese people to check out a, a Burmese cultural center. Um, and so it's not a forgotten population at all. It's actually one we're probably most closely yeah. linked to and strategic, strategic with. Yeah, yeah, learning from and growing together and uh, wanting to include and care for. Um, and so, yeah, that would be what I would offer. Oh, I guess I'd also say... Um, the unique church history of sin. Yeah, against, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I, so my two sermons uh, drilled down on the black-white issue, uh, to the listener's point, it, they, my sermons were more uh, um, a history and uh, a call to repentance for the white church because of the unique nature of the sin in the American white church against African Americans. And so... In the cultural moment, I mean, you raised in yeah. your kind of the intro, hey, here, mm-hmm. here are some big things that happened. 
in the last in, in, in the last couple, couple years, years yeah. right? In the sin of our nation against African Americans is different. We've certainly sinned. I think of the internment camps, World War II, against mm-hmm. the Asian community, and we certainly sinned against uh, the American Indian population and the and Asian and the Hispanic population. Um, but it it seems to be a different altogether sin enslaving um, um, Af- Africans and transporting, kidnapping them here, selling them. <clears throat> so the the nature of the sin is different nationally and uh, and in the church, frankly. That's a good point. All right, um, let's go to the next one. I've personally invited several families to GEBC, many of which are middle to lower class families. The feedback they have given me is, quote, we don't fit in at GEBC, end quote. What is our church doing to welcome middle to lower class families? Um, I would love to hear from whomever submitted this, you know, I wonder what exactly led the families to conclude that, that they, they don't fit in. Um, because it is something we've worked on. Um, and when I say worked on, it's, it's been a part of discussion for the last 15 years, uh, maybe longer than that, uh, asking ourselves, how can we be um, inclusive Economically, socioeconomically, how can we de-stratify um, our worship experience? And we talked about the pricing of youth ministry, um, and so we—that's certainly a part of our work in that respect. Not not wanting to only represent one socioeconomic class, but wanting um, all classes to feel at home here, loved here, cared for here. So there, there we have done some things very strategically. Um, and it's stuff that we, I don't think we've talked about a lot publicly. We've certainly talked about them among the elder board and the staff team, uh, for example, dress code. Mm. There isn't a dress code at Glowing Bible Church. Um, it's uh, dress as you feel comfortable is kind of the code. Um, when I started at Glowing Bible Church in, in 94, it was a suit culture primarily among leadership. Uh, the leaders kind of, just the leaders, like just people. Well, if you or would were, people come in suits? Yeah, both. Both. Okay. But if you were if you were on the platform on a Sunday morning, it was the, a Sunday's best type culture. You know, you need to dress up, dress to lead. In fact, yeah, I'll leave it at that. So <laughs> it was it was um, you know to preach, you wore a suit and uh, a tie, and so we were very intentional over the last. As, as many years to relax our dress code so that people felt like they could come as they are. And, and if you want to wear a suit, there, do y'all remember there was a season where our high school boys were wearing yeah, suits? Yeah, they wore suits. Yeah. It was called Suit Up Sunday. And yeah. they, they just thought it would be fun to wear suits. And so, it, but they really stuck out because, particularly in the summer months, we're talking flip flops and shorts. Um, so we've tried to rela- been intentional about dress code. We talked about it at the elder board level. We talked about that at the staff level many years ago. Language. I mentioned before that I went to a conference um, hosted by Ruby Payne, and the lion's share of her teaching is aimed at public schools helping uh, teachers relate to both upper, middle, and lower class students. And the biggest barriers, 
interesting to learn in the seminar. The biggest barrier to the classroom learning experience is language. Mm. Uh, there are significant language differences between uh, incoming kindergartners who come from different socioeconomic classes. I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'll ballpark it to give you a feel. Uh, a five-year-old starting in the public schools kindergarten from the lower class knows 5,000 words. Where in, from the upper class, they may know 20,000. Those numbers may be off if you want to go fact check me, but you get a feeling for the disparity. And so for a teacher standing up front. And that's based on economics is what you're talking about. Yes, so, yeah. yes. It's, and it's based on uh, exposure mm -hmm. to books, time with parents reading, yep. that type of thing. So we, we, there was a time after the Ruby Payne seminar where we talked about what words we use in the, in the platform, on the, on the platform. That's why I get, you know, uh, ridiculed for using words like perspicuity. Uh, and, and I work hard at it. The, you know, some big words are needed for, to, to communicate, but some are not. And, and so the real value is learning to communicate um, so that, as many people as possible can understand the, con the concept. So, uh, story. Uh, we're very careful not to tell stories that alienate based on economics. Hmm. And it, so, if I go on a, a ski trip to Vail, I'm probably not going to talk about it because very few can afford to go to on a ski trip to Vail. Now, I haven't been to a ski, ski trip to Vail, but you get the flavor for what mm -hmm. I'm saying here. I, we want stories that make the biblical point rather than uh, call out the haves and haves nots. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. um, and when we talk about giving at Glow and Bible Church, we've been very strategic to talk about proportional giving. The tithe is not talked about in the New Testament. And so we talk about uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. And we, we leave it up to the families to decide. Um, what the Lord is calling them to give, what sacrificial and generous looks like for them. Hmm. It's interesting. I, I actually think that some wealthy people could say the same thing. In fact, I know people. Oh, I know for yeah. sure. People that. That they don't fit in. They feel like they don't fit in because. Too casual. It's too casual. Um, your pastor doesn't wear a suit. I mean, we've. And then, in the last few years, we've actually. It's actually said had mm. multiple people mm -hmm. say, hey, you should look mm -hmm. a certain way from the platform. Mm -hmm. You know, my outfit yesterday, 100% Costco, baby. <laughs> my outfit. <laughs> my preacher fit. What do you call it? My uniform. Yeah. You know, my you, jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, should, we should also point out, though, that there's a lot of churches in our country that are below the, the national average income line, right? Where if you went there dressed like we dress here, mm -hmm. you would be totally out of place. You'd stick because out. Because everyone mm -hmm. is dressed to the nines. Mm -hmm. There's still cultures that Sunday mm -hmm. best is... That's still a mm -hmm. thing. It's like reverent. Yeah. And so there, I, mean, I only bring that up to point out that this right. is really complex. It is complex. It is. And you can't be all things to all people. No. You're not going to be... You know, we're not... Is it, I just don't want to lose sight of that, that you can't just... You don't want to exclude there, the rich. You don't mm -hmm. want to exclude the poor. Mm -hmm. How do you... How do you... Mm -hmm. How do you fit and live in right. that in that tension mm -hmm. but i i i've responded to this question a little kind of interesting is the idea of what is our church doing and i thought to myself is like i don't know what are you doing if you texted this question <laughs> like there's there's a limited amount of like 
what is the church staff and leadership like doing to own this issue or my friend was from a lower to middle class and they didn't fit in or think that I, I mean that's a that's not just a church leadership problem or issue like certainly we that's need to I think would love about to it hear and hear more detail yeah and mm-hmm. I started thinking about it and I was like I feel like the church staff and leadership might actually be in the middle mm. to the lower mm. class. <laughs> Mm. Have you been to our houses? Mm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Have you seen the cars we drive? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I'm being funny, but well, I mean, I'm, I think the church staff actually, if I'm going to be totally honest, mm-hmm. is the group that that group <laughs> would most closely relate to. Right. Mm-hmm. Like paying the soccer fees is a little hard mm-hmm. on the yeah. church staff salary. And the, I mean, we talk, I'm not complaining. At, that's not what I'm doing. You're I'm not complaining. Yeah. But I'm trying to say is I, I don't think that the middle to lower class that come in, if they were to go to the Vandervelds or the Marones and they would find that they're, mo- or the Brady's. Right. They actually can really, and I, again, I am not complaining. I'm not saying I'm, economically can't make it in this world or I'm not doing any of that. But You're asking for money. No, <laughs> definitely not we're, doing like, that. Yeah, we're but not. I'm just trying to say like, we're not driving BMWs. We are, we are and firmly in middle class. Totally. To, uh, right in the middle of middle right. class. Like I, we're I live I, a very healthy, I, comfortable life, yeah. but we are not living extravagantly no. to drive those, away people that are middle class. Right. Would be, be my point. If I say Winnetka, if I say Hinsdale, if I say Glen Ellen, there are financial um, assumptions True. made. Totally. Yep. And so we're swimming a little upstream here. It is not easy, I think, to be situated in Glen Ellen. Now, frankly, you know, half our church lives in Wheaton. Uh, we have Carol Stream attenders. Uh, um, so. Other side of the tracks, Winfield. Yeah, attenders. crazy people from Winfield. So, <laughs> my my point is, I get it. I I think that Glen Ellen, it could be that someone. There's a lot of assumptions about the um, the finances of a church full of Glen Ellen, uh, a church in Glen Ellen. That just, and so I I think that we need to be honest. That's good. Uh, yeah, we're we're up we're working our way upstream yeah. there a little bit. So, and I would encourage those folks to listen to the amount of time that you, because you're the senior pastor, most often in the pulpit, talk about the danger of being rich. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and the the mm-hmm. unique burden. And yeah, that's an idol we take aim at here I, a lot. A lot. <laughs> so it's not that we don't cater. You're right. And coddle, and I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, some some there are some folks who uh, would come and visit our church and they will feel uncomfortable before they've even walked through the doors because they parked in our parking lot mm. and they looked and saw the cars that were parked there and they're just maybe not what they're used to seeing. 61 Honda Odysseys. <laughs> right. In the, right, right. In the Which, to be fair, are like, you know, $40,000 cars. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, that, 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 is, that is a little different. Right, like for for some folks, and so before we've even talked about church programming and language that we can use, and you know, for yeah. some, yeah. that is already could be a barrier. This it's a complex issue. Totally. 
Um, all right, let's go to the next one. This is uh, kind of similar to a couple questions ago. But, um, based on today's, that's uh, yesterday, um, John's sermon, how can the people of GEBC be a better household of reaching out to people they do not know on a weekly basis? I know there are people who feel on the fringe and marginalized in our own congregational household. How can we practice within to apply to the world? I'll, I would love your guys' feedback. I just bullet pointed a, a, a list here. Um, sit in a different place on Sunday. So you get to sit with and be around people and hear what's going on, meet their kids, their family, whatever it is, talk to different people. When you go into the gym, it can be easy to, to kind of go right to the people you always hang out with or talk mm-hmm. with or, or whatever, go to a different place, talk with somebody different. I think one of the things that I've been really encouraged seeing is when people sign up for ministries or programs that are different than what their friend group did. So. Um, maybe instead of signing up for um, women's um, Bible study on Tuesday morning, you sign up to go to the Wednesday night or Thursday night, whenever. Yeah, mix it up. It mix it schedule. up so it's not just your group of friends doing all the group of friends things that you always you always kind of do. Um, I've been really encouraged. Um, I know one family specifically that does this often and is very intentional about inviting families that they don't typically interact with. Uh, over for for dinner. I was talking with this. I won't out them, but I was talking with them the other day. They're like, "Oh yeah, we. Oh yeah, we know them." I'm like, "Oh, how'd you get them? Oh, we invited them over for dinner." Like that's awesome. Like a young yeah. couple, uh, newly married with no kids, and their family's a family full of kids. And it was like, but they're looking for babysitters. They, yeah, right. <laughs> they, um, you know, so it just I think those type of things, like invite somebody to a meal, and I get it. It's been a, a unique. Yeah, the last two years have kind of squashed It's been hard, but we can't, you know, we can't make too many excuses, Mm -hmm. right? Like, there's ways to to reach out, connect, hear people struggle, people that are different than you, and, um, yeah. You know, I I started a new group on Thursday night. It's it's a men's group, and uh, I shared, when it was my turn to share, we were just going around, you know, what do you face and what are your struggles? And I talked about feeling lonely. And I... It's a very common experience. Um, so, and there were some follow-up questions, and I talked, well, I don't feel alone. I mean, uh, <laughs> by any stretch there's, of the yeah, There's people mm-hmm. all around me all right? the time. <laughs> uh, but I do, I do have this sense of um, being lonely. Mm-hmm. It's a home of origin, childhood thing that I struggle with. So, um, I, I, I love the heart of the question. I think we need to remember that on Sunday mornings, a Sunday morning is a time for both giving and receiving. Mm-hmm. It's a time where, where we come and we receive. It was great for me not to preach Sunday. I get to be a part of the congregation more so, or it feels like, or I'm just, my brain is more yeah. checked out and relaxed. I, the singing was tremendously encouraging for me. So I'm, I'm receiving. But it's also a time to give. It's a time to... And, and we have people that do this that will work the room. They're the high-end extroverts that are looking. They're very social people. But we all need to be doing that to an extent. Yeah. We need to come on Sunday morning to receive and to serve. And by that, I mean, I'm not saying you have to go to the nursery and change a diaper or, or, or serve in a, you By that, I mean informal way. And the service can be as simple as, at the end of the service, I'm going to turn around and talk to those people behind me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to assume that chances are high 
they feel lonely. Mm. Mm-hmm. That, that loneliness is like a suburban epidemic. It's, an, it's, an, it's, a, it's a global epidemic. And so there are great opportunities to serve in just the simplest ways by introducing yourself, asking for other people's names, uh, getting to know someone week to week, checking back in with them. If you hear something heavy, you turn around, mm-hmm. you hear something heavy, then go to prayer. Yeah. That's all. Mm-hmm. All right. I love it when we have um, secret shoppers mm. at church, when we know there's people that yeah. they go, they're plugged in and they go mm. to another church, but they're here just for a... We had one Sunday. Just, yeah, just for a, just for a Sunday. Like, I, they're not they, technically a secret shopper. Do you guys know what that is? Mm-hmm. Like, Target will well, hire people that, yeah, to shop. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but what are you saying? Their I'm saying intent is... There's, there's times when yes. people come to GBC with no intention of Long-term attendance. Long-term mm-hmm. attendance okay. and being plugged in. You know, they're, they're visiting a family. We might know them or whatever. And then to, to ask them questions after. So what was the, what was your experience? Mm-hmm. Did anybody turn around and say hello? Mm-hmm. Did anybody yeah, right. invite you to yeah. grab a coffee in the gym? Mm-hmm. Did anybody? Friendly? <laughs> nine times out of ten, you can know where they mm-hmm. sat because of who might have sat by them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's interesting. I remember a season, Kelly, where... You were really intentional about, um, you said something to the effect of, hey, if you're a guest here at Glenelg Bible Church, we're really glad you're here. I hope someone turns around and shakes your hand and mm. <laughs> tells you that, you know, they're glad you're here. Mm-hmm. And it was like, haha, that's kind of how we are as a people. But at the same time, it was like, you better turn around. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be a welcoming a little, and, and a little charge, inviting. Yeah. I thought that was a, a kind of a cool strategy. Now we don't turn and shake hands currently, but. Mm. And I get it, you know people they get to church and many of us get to church and we're exhausted mm-hmm. just getting here we're dragging our kids behind us or we had a late saturday night and we didn't for whatever reason we drag ourselves in and some people don't want to feel that they have to be on mm-hmm. does that make sense and, and you don't have to be i'm just saying yeah. there are great opportunities for service mm-hmm. don't week in week out don't show up and simply absorb so I mean, you, there are to, certainly times where you, you're in more of a receive mode yeah. and certainly times you're more like, in a serve mode, but yeah. If we had a 10% increase in the number of people that saw opportunities to care for each other in the pews, just a 10% increase, it would change the culture of our church. If just 10% more folks were to say, I'm going to get to know that person, I'm going to find out their name. If I hear something that's heavy, we're going to go to prayer together. Mm-hmm. It would change the culture of the church in the most positive of ways. That's good. All right, let's go to the next one. The secular discussion of race has a lot of spiritual undertones. For example, the secular community talks about things like the original sin of racism, a call to repentance, and atoning for sins past. I'm concerned modern society has stolen biblical language, replacing God with right thinking on racial and social justice issues. I've also observed progressive Christians appealing to this secular view and stopping short of a strong call for Christ as the center of racial justice. Do you think this is a legitimate concern? This question is full of terms, perhaps, that need to be defined. So a progressive Christian is meaning uh, it's juxtaposed to a uh, conservative Christian, perhaps, or fundamental, fundamentalist Christian. Yeah. So when they say progressive, they mean progressive in their theology 
And it typically means, progressive means, that they don't talk about things like, I, I heard, I listened to a progressive Christian preacher Sunday when I got home from church. <clears throat> and it typically, he, he actually spoke against original sin. He said it doesn't exist. And uh, which has implications for salvation, uh, meaning that we, we would participate in our salvation. We're, we're, we're contributing to our salvation. So they're looking, a progressive Christian is seeing the world differently. They're interpreting scripture differently. And, it, and they're usually elevating the role of humanity. There's a humanitarian element. Uh, humans aren't as bad uh, as, as um, they're not as sinful as the fundamentalist or the evangelical or orthodox teaching of the church would would stress. So, all right, I think I've gotten lost in the in terms here. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that there's a secular discussion on race where right thinking replaces um, the gospel. So I, I do think the secular community is talking about racism using spiritual terms. They're saying it's wrong and they will talk about uh, we need to atone for sins of the past. Well, atonement language is biblical language. Mm -hmm. And so they have um, taken over that, that word. And, um, and I, so I do think that there's legitimate concern here among both secular um, and progressive Christians uh, there's a concern that they lose sight of the cross in particular. I, I think it's important that Christians firmly champion the call for justice, whether it's racial justice or whatever the justice cause might be, and that they do that. They firmly champion it, and they, they establish it in the work of the cross. Here's what I mean. God, who is just, provided a sin sacrifice for all who accept his death on their behalf for the forgiveness of sin. So God worked justice through the cross. And as God sacrificed his son for our justice, we're to sacrifice our time, our talents, our treasures, so that others can experience justice here and now as best we're able. Whatever that sin may, wherever sin exists, Christians are to call people to repentance, communicate God's love and mercy toward all who confess and repent. So when when we say that racism in America needs to change, and certainly racism in the church needs to change, we do that based upon the demonstration of God's love towards us in the cross of Jesus Christ. So our justice, our call to justice, is founded on the, on the work of God in Christ. We, I appreciate secular efforts to call for justice, but it's really... Uh, that they have a limited ability to do so. It's impossible to call for justice without a belief that humanity is made the image of God, ultimately. So apart from an affirmation of Genesis 127, justice is hijacked. For example, Hitler actually thought it was just to round up Jews because he said they crippled the German economy. So he justified... His work against the Jews. And so without a firm belief that God is just and humanity is made in the image of God and that the justice of God was demonstrated through the cross of Christ, we, get, we can easily get off, off course. Mm -hmm. Justice is only as secure as the people are seen as being made in the image of God. And so I, I do think there is some concern, some legitimate concern about 
what, upon what are we founding our call to justice? Mm. But <laughs> I do think the church, I want to, I feel this with a passion. It's hard in a podcast mm. to communicate a passion. So no, just get a little louder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slow I know Matt turns me slow, down when he goes to mix it. Slow <laughs> I hit the and button. loud and direct. <laughs> I think or feel strongly that the Christian, the evangelical church, is getting distracted. And we're, a, we're more focused on how people are talking about the need for racial justice than we're actually talking about racial justice. We're talking about how we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it so when, when John Piper is accused of being a Marxist and giving in to critical race theory, I mean, he's a, he is a faithful servant of God who served a church imperfectly but diligently for decades. Mm-hmm. But when he's accused of having the wrong language, then I, I think even now, the Be the Bridge book, it's not a perfect book, but there's a fair bit of pushback from the conservative Christian community not wanting to read this book because she doesn't represent our camp completely. Yeah. Like politically, you mean? Politically, even theologically to an extent. Mm-hmm. But her story is beautiful and it's valuable. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like the... And I get it. We want our, our minds to be renewed. I get it. So we want to be careful what we put into our minds. Mm-hmm. Point well made. But that doesn't mean I only read people who agree with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the ways I was thinking about this was um, it can be a distraction to us individually as Christians and to then the, the, the church. Um, we should be taking aim at I think what the what what the the message, the sermons, and the this whole we we should be taking aim at our our own hearts. If there's racist racist issues or ideas or things that are in our own heart, and then in, are those represented in our body? Mm-hmm. Um, that's been our primary. I mean, that was yes, the that was huge the part of the yeah. sermon on mm-hmm. the thirtieth. And there's work to be done there, and it should be done, and it should, we should constantly kind of be evaluating um, ourselves on that, on that issue because it's such a dominant theme, the unity in church, unity in the body. And so I think there's a danger that instead of doing that work, we take aim at progressive Christians, social justice warriors, or whatever we want to label that, that group as, and we instead of doing the work that we need to do in our own lives and in, in our own church, we get distracted and think, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to take aim at over here, you know, wokeism or whatever it is, you know. And I get it. There's some legitimate concerns there, as Kelly has outlined. Totally, totally get that. But if it takes away from us having meaningful, thoughtful, reflective, inspirational, um, convicting conversations about our own hearts, our own racist proclivities or unconscious biases or whatever, I, I, feel, I feel a miss there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So. 
I, I feel a, people saying I don't want to have ra- we shouldn't have racist conversations because that's all about blah 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 mm-hmm. agenda mm-hmm. or all about blah blah and it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. right it doesn't have to be we can listen to the word of God and and see see what it what <laughs> what it says and then we can apply it to our own lives in our own church and we can do that work without mm-hmm. saying we're endorsing a progressive mm-hmm. Christian agenda. Is that a better way to say it maybe? There was actually what I would describe as a witch hunt over the summer in which I feel like disinformation was being fed to the evangelical church in an attempt to um, derail the conversation that needs to be had about racism Mm -hmm. in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, David Platt (laughs) <laughs> yeah. uh, and went through a, who's a, a megachurch leader and a, a man of real character he leads McLean Bible Church outside D.C. Um, he he was accused of being woke and um, and people members of his church were suing his church mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah, it got real messy it, it was a, really com- sideways and it really was just quick. complete disinformation in an attempt to, to derail a talk that needs mm-hmm. a, a discussion, a dialogue that needs to take place. So I just, I, know, I didn't share this quote. Hurts. I didn't share this quote. Can I just share a quote here? I didn't share this quote on Sunday because I ran out of time. Um, but there's, we've had a little bit of um, of a conversation, you know, within the church of like, do we need to have this conversation? Why is this important? Do, you know. It's, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. people just like, we're tired of this kind of issue and, and that sort of thing. And there's a quote by John Stott I thought was really, really good. And perhaps I was wrong in not sharing it on Sunday, but. I kept waiting for a Stott quote. <laughs> he said you were gonna. I know. He said, I wonder if anything is more urgent today for the honor of Christ and the spread of the gospel that the church should be and should be seen to be a single new humanity, Mm. a model of human community, a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their father and love each other, the evident dwelling place of God and his spirit. And then he says, only then will the world believe in Christ as peacemaker. Only then will God receive the glory due his name. I just thought it was... I mean, the, the takeaway, like, this is an urgent matter. Like, we should, we should, be, we should be having this, this, this type mm-hmm. of conversation, right? Like, do we present, are we actually, and do we present mm-hmm. ourselves to a world who is torn apart over this issue mm-hmm. as a unified group? Is this actually a place where that peacemaking, mm-hmm. where that healing, where that unity that people are longing for can actually be experienced? Because if we don't represent it, then they, they're going to look mm-hmm. to other sources. The watching world mm-hmm. is looking to other sources to find that. Um, I think yesterday you made an argument that says the Bible describes heaven to be made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? And if we're looking to create that present day, like do our best to reflect the image of God, pursuing this unity in our everyday lives, that alone should stand as an argument to be pursuing unity 
throughout every tribe, tongue, and nation. I mean, maybe this conversation at this time at this church was inspired by or reinitiated or whatever you want to call it because of the recent events over the last several years. Put that aside. It doesn't remove the call to pursue this reconciliation of all people, of all tribes, of all skin color, of all language. I mean, it's that in and of itself is biblical. So I think that was one of the things that you pointed out so beautifully yesterday is this is not a new issue or topic. It is woven in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, so put, put aside our defenses or our political platforms or things that we are passionate about because we feel like there's, you know, we have a personal agenda for it um, and still see biblically that this is the heart of God, this type of unity and this reflection of his heart. I, don't, I mean, it just kind of hit me yesterday. Like, this should be talked about all the time. <laughs> it's so biblical. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful representation of what and who God created. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, don't, I don't know why that is, I don't know why there's still such a defense against having this conversation and pursuing this when it's so woven into the character and the person of God. I, I feel like there could be a defensiveness or a part of the defensiveness for me was based in privilege. Hmm. Because when we admit, and I had to admit, I had bigoted, discriminatory thoughts and feelings that the Lord has rooted out, I'd say over the last four or five years, the minute I admit that, then something's got to change. Um, I, I think if, if privilege weren't a part of this, in other words, I think if people could repent, confess and repent without having to do anything beyond that, then we'd all step to the plate. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. wrong. And mm-hmm. I, my heart breaks for the historic white church. Um, but, but I'm, you know, if nothing, if there are no implications, but there are clear implications. Mm-hmm. There are clear implications to confessing and repenting. There are clear implications to lamenting mm-hmm. the historic white church's testimony in America on this issue. There are, when you lament, you're crying over historic and you're saying I want to see something change and if something's going to change it will be in part my privileged position my privileged role okay but how has that played out in your everyday life has your uh, you know I think people are I think you're just speaking so beautifully to what the call is particularly to the white affluent male who is going to push back and say I don't want to admit privilege and here you are a leader of you know this this church in this community made up of so many people who look like you and you just confessed or admitted yeah. or whatever word you want to call it that you recognize you have privilege yeah. and you're still here. So my <laughs> you didn't get priv- struck by lightning. <laughs> right. So tell us the fruit that has come from that. And you know what I mean? Well, okay. So and when I talk about privilege on this issue, I'm saying I'm privileged because my skin is white that I get a pass and doors open to me and people don't look sideways at me because I'm white. So I, 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 maybe this is what you're looking for. I just want you to, I want other people to see that there's, it's okay to admit yeah, that we have privilege. The earth doesn't open up and swallow me. Right. And, and, that? right, and that yep. there's actually fruit from yeah. the, the discipleship journey you personally have been on with Christ in the last several years. 
All right, so um, the implications of privilege uh, are very uh, personal at some levels, and then they're um, also vocational. Mm. So I'll start with the personal. Forgive me if this seems trite, it was a big deal for me. Mm. I was pulling into Qdoba about a uh, ballpark at six months ago. Seems like it was in the summertime. And um, up on Geneva in Main Street, Schmale Road, that Qdoba. Mm-hmm. And the guy in front of me put his signal on, all right, and it, it blinked, turned right, but his brake light on that side didn't come on. I said, ah, bummer, he's got his brake light out. Someone should tell him. I pull in the lot. I'm going to where he's going. We get out. We go into Qdoba. He's a person of color. I say, hey, you're back right taillights out. I'd get that fixed. He goes, yeah, I'll do that. Now, that's the first time I've ever told anybody. Uh, And I just, I felt like there was a moment there where uh, I was concerned for him as a black man having Mm -hmm. his taillight out because it's a reason he might be pulled over. Mm -hmm. Um, Anybody get pulled over, right, I guess. Uh, Hey, I'll I'll keep talking, forgive me. I drove around with the taillight out forever and I don't think twice about it because I'm white. And my kids, I mean, we have cars, my kids have cars, and when their taillights out, I don't panic. Am I off here? Did, does this make sense? No, mm-hmm. I think it makes great sense. You're talking mm-hmm. about what it's, the, Driving you're giving us black. a very mm-hmm. tangible example mm-hmm. of the difference between a yeah. white person and a black person mm-hmm. in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I have told my kids, you have no reason to fear the police. Mm-hmm. This is before I, I started reading on what it means to drive while black. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw this man going into Qdoba with me, I said to him, you don't know it, but your tail lights out, and I would hate for you to be pulled over and scrutinized unfairly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Um, while we're just talking about you know, personal examples, like um, Jennifer and I were just talking about this yesterday. Um, the, f- <laughs> the first time I was with her and I think Roman was a baby and we got pulled over for speeding. We were on our way back from visiting family in Indiana I- was the first time I could remember ever being me being pulled over and getting a warning. <laughs> not kidding. Now I'm not saying that all the other times I was pulled over that I wasn't speeding that I w- or that I wasn't, you know, but loitering you or being a punk or what, you know. Every time I've pulled over, pretty much I should have been pulled over. Mm-hmm. I never, as a Mexican and brown-skinned person, never had remembered getting a warning. I didn't even know what that was. I always got a ticket. I, like that's just I we were talking get, yeah. about it, and and now and, and Jennifer was just like, I don't know that I've ever. I always get warnings. Yeah. I'm like, wow, okay, I you know. Hadn't really thought we were talking about it just yesterday, like mm-hmm. the difference in that. Um, I wanted to share, though, um, something that was eye-opening for me. And I, I think this might be helpful, just in general, because I feel like along the lines with this question, it's like, you know, yes, some people are afraid to lament. Some people need to be biblically convinced that we should lament as a church. 
that it's that it's good. It's there's biblical examples of you know of uh, lamentation for the nation and for, not just for the nation, but for past sins. Like we see that, um, but a lot of folks are wondering like, but then what, mm-hmm. right? Like then then what do you want me to do? Do you want me to get a different job? Do you want me to you know tithe more? Do you want me to like what what does this look like? Here's what it looks like, I think, um, in large part, in our hearts. Uh, when I was at Park uh, in Cabrini Green, we would go and we would play uh, basketball at lunch over at Moody. Mm-hmm. Solheim Center. It's at the Solheim mm-hmm. Center, yes. And uh, I would go, um, every Wednesday I'd go with my buddy Jason. Jason is uh, uh, he's a pastor at Park. He pastors a multi-ethnic church in Rogers Park. Does a fantastic job, um, you know, um, and he, um, Jason, he, he played basketball at Moody, you know, he's just, he is, uh, he's white, but he is very comfortable walking around Cabrini Green. He's just really comfortable in, in that culture. And so we're driving from, and this is in the kind of the early days, so Cabrini Green was still feeling like Cabrini Green, even though years later it kind of was got, you know, gentrified, I guess, right? So we're driving from Park over to the Solheim Center, right through Cabrini Green, and there are a whole lot of folks outside, like gangbangers, you know? And I'm sitting there thinking, and this is as a, as a, color, a person of color, Mexican, brown-skinned me, I'm, I'm looking around going, Bullets could fly. Like, this happens. Bullet, we, people get shot right outside of our, my office, right? Like, that was happening. And I'm sitting here looking at all these folks, and I'm thinking, yeah, it could go down right now. We're right in the middle of maybe 50, 60 people. I wonder what's happening, what's going on. Jason, as he's driving, he looks out over everybody, and he goes, oh, man, look at all these precious people. Yeah. And it just mm-hmm. cut. Like, it just it showed what was... I think at the end of the day, what I want to communicate to my white brothers and sisters at this church is ask yourself this honest question. When you look out and when you see a group of Mexicans or a group of Asians or a group of African-Americans or whatever, in your heart of hearts, do you look at them and see Mm -hmm. precious people that God loves? Mm -hmm. Is that what you see? Mm -hmm. Because in that moment, that's not what I was seeing Mm -hmm. myself. Right, I was thinking of my own security. I was thinking of that this may be a very bad decision to be going playing basketball at noon on a whatever on a Wednesday. Like I'm, I'm in danger. Mm-hmm. And this other guy, follower of Jesus, transformed by the power of the gospel and, and the Holy Spirit inside of him, is looking at everybody, saying, "Oh man, look at all these precious people." That's what he's thinking about. I want to have that heart change. To me, like that's that's the. That's just paramount. Mm-hmm. I want to look at everybody mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. And, and to be fair, I want to look at white folks who I know are really affluent mm-hmm. and think the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I don't, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think about like, uh, must be nice, must be nice. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's where I go. Like, gee, you don't have a care in the world. You don't have a problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You don't know what it's like to X, Y, Z. Instead of, man, that's a precious person mm-hmm. that God loves. Yeah, because you know that's not true. Hey, exactly. I want to save myself some time, and I want to say that I do not believe all policemen, uh, police people, mm-hmm. are bigoted racists. I don't believe that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's good clarification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, I think, yep. My best 
friend all growing up and even now to this day is a police officer and and we've had some really sweet conversations on this topic because he'll be the first to tell you it is very hard to be a police officer Gosh. oh i can't imagine it is, how it is brutal um in a lot of ways to yeah. be uh to be a police officer right now and the lack of support or the the in, the negative endorsement mm-hmm. from certain groups that are like we don't want your endorsement <laughs> <laughs> you're making it sound bad for us mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. just threading that needle and mm-hmm. it's you know so pray for the the police as well yeah over the last couple of weeks we've been talking about racial equality and justice and unity and doing our best to dive into God's word and learn and listen to what the Spirit may be saying to us about application to our lives, a great next step would be to register for the Be the Bridge discussion, taking place February 27th through March 20th on Sunday afternoons, 3 o'clock to 4.30. You can register online by going to gebible.org under the resources. There is a diversity page. On that page is a link to registration. So, we hope that you'll sign up. These are leader-led groups. Books will be dec- will be uh, provided, so you don't have to have a book. If you already have a book, there's an opportunity you can register for free. The $9 charge for the group is just to offset the cost of the book. So I hope you'll be a part. All right. Um, why don't we go on to the next one? Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, nice and late. i'm getting there okay in galatians 2 15 why did paul describe jews as jews but gentiles as sinful gentiles the language suggests a distinction between jew and gentile based on the latter being sinful and the former not i know this is not what paul meant but i'm curious if there's any significance to him emphasizing the sinful nature of gentiles but not jews in this specific passage yeah, Gentiles are described as sinful by virtue of being outside the covenant with Israel, not because Jews were without sin. He's just, Gentiles simply had no means for addressing their sin apart from becoming Jews. So the point of Galatians is that the barrier to God for Gentiles uh, was broken down through Christ's ministry and all may now come in. His very point in calling them sinful was to accentuate the gospel's good news for them. Yes. You should, you should have answered that. <laughs> no, you, you should, that's great. That was not the question I was referring to. Just no, I, listener, yeah, 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 that I was the deep one. Skip one, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll go back to it. Okay. okay. It, Maybe, let's, it was uh, nice uh, to lighten it up there. Yeah, just a minute. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, <laughs> you scrolled past. It's a, a long page. How did you miss that? A page. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. Well, because I had while we were talking, I had scrolled to it, and mm-hmm. then when I looked at it, mm-hmm. I thought that was the one we were on. Gotcha. I got it. Okay. Here's the question Here's the of question. the hour. And we received four or five of these. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are wrestling with this, so we want to spend some time here and, and do the best we can with it. Yep. So uh, here we go. I have appreciated the sermon series over the past several weeks. That said, John's sermon in particular raised a question slash issue that I believe needs to be addressed. We can talk at length about racism, but what of the gender discrimination? Quoted in the sermon was Galatians 3.28, which states, Neither male or female, for you are all one in, G- in Christ Jesus. Elsewhere it is quoted that for both uh, male and female were created in the image of God. Yet we are a church that continues to forbid female elders, and we don't allow women to preach. I know this is ongoing. Uh, this ongoing stance creates real tension in my household with my wife and daughter. Yeah, I th- um, 
appreciate the the question for sure. Um, and like Kelly said, we you know we had a lot of these questions. I will say that I think it's definitely worth engaging in this conversation. But I would offer us a little bit of of caution um, here in that. Um, I'll be honest. There's a little bit of it struck you a certain it way. It struck me a yeah. certain way. Yeah. The yeah. amount of the questions because it. Um, I feel like there is a quick move away from the discussion on race and God's vision for a multi-ethnic church to a problem that's more personal for that person. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes me wonder why can't we just sit with this issue more and ask some questions on, on this issue. I wonder why we were so quick to move to the matter's that hit us personally rather than the issues that affect um, others. It, it just, it, it hit me in the, it's the somebody saying, you know, breast cancer matters and then someone going, no, lung cancer also matters. Um, I definitely get it. I definitely understand. Your concern is um, just that we not th- throw off yeah, a hard like, discussion. I do believe that there is a time and a place to wrestle with this issue, discuss this issue, and the, uh, the other issues that Paul mm-hmm. um, mentioned. But let's remind ourselves, we were talking about this specific discussion on multi-ethnicity. Um, and I don't want to like squash people like, well, fine, I won't ask any questions. And that's not what I'm saying. You're just I expressing just, a concern. I'm expressing a concern and just give some caution that um, if we so quickly move away from the application of, of uh, racism, ethnocentrism, and we go right into something that wasn't the topic, let's just be careful we don't do the work that we need to do on this issue. Seems fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm fair. trying to be mm-hmm. generous and fair and yeah. all those sorts of things and not Well, not so let's let's assume then that you now that you address that. Let's assume that this person is adequately tackling racism yes. and what we've been talking about and at the same time was kind of your sermon prodded this sure. other thing that is yeah, very it's a category front, that's very front yes. burner in this household. Yes. Right? Like how would you guys uh, speak into you know, how they um, how they deal with this? How they talk about this how they reconcile this yeah i yes i'll i'll jump in gender discrimination is real and it's wrong for example it's discriminatory to pay women less than men for the same job done and that's wrong that's one example but paul is not addressing whether or not women can preach or serve as elders in galatians 3 so let me read the verse that the listener references and that John brought up. It's Galatians three twenty-eight, and I'm going to read 29 as well. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if, you're in Christ, if, and if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Galatians three twenty-eight is a statement of equality in Christ That is, Paul is saying that everyone may be saved. Paul's not talking about gender-specific roles here and whether or not they exist. He's talking about inclusion in the kingdom of God and saying that no barriers exist any longer. 
Salvation is available. It's about salvation. It's, it's linked to the promise given to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through you. So his focus is singularly on salvation. But even more importantly, he's not saying that male and female no longer exist. When he says there's neither male nor female, he's not saying God's design at creation has been obliterated. He's certainly, and he's certainly not contravening his own mandate from 1 Timothy 2.12, which says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Certainly, Paul hasn't forgotten what he wrote in 1 Timothy as he writes to believers in Galatia. In other words, let's make sure we understand what Galatians 3 is about. Mm -hmm. It's not about whether or not women can serve as elders. It's not about whether or not women can preach. It's not about the roles of men and women within the church. It's about salvation. Yeah, I think another way to say this too is that um, that doesn't mean there's not Jew, and it doesn't mean there's not Greek, or and slaves. it doesn't mean there's not slaves, and it doesn't mean there's not barbarians. It, those things matter. I tried to say it on Sunday. You do <laughs> those, much better second service. Those things matter. Th- those matter in your makeup and your identity. God is not erasing. When you come to Christ, it's not as if God has erased some of both his design as well as cultural realities. Mm-hmm. Correct. It was, and we'll get and, to this, it was Jew first. Yeah, and the picture in Revelation is still a picture of tribe, tongue, nation, right. ethnicity, but what, what's making them the same? The clothes that mm-hmm. they're wearing, mm-hmm. which is a representation that they are washed white by the blood of the lamb. Yeah, they're still speaking so in other bad, tongues. But mm-hmm. they are in different languages mm-hmm. and they look different mm-hmm. and they, <laughs> so they're unique uniqueness of who they are and how they're made is not gone. Mm -hmm. It just means that they all have equal standing and should be unified together. Yeah. All right. So let's segue now to GED's position on women in leadership because enough people ask the question in the text string, text line, that I think people are wanting to know how is that not discriminatory? Mm -hmm. All right. It is true that GEBC limits the office of elder to men only and that preaching is reserved for men as a function of the office of elder. But that is not discriminatory. Rather, it is based upon God's design in creation. Specifically, and here I'm going to outline what we believe. We believe men and women are created in the image of God, are equal in worth and value, and have distinct roles in home and church as designed by God. We believe these gender-specific roles were established at creation. They are hierarchical, and complementary. That's the theological name for this position is complementarianism, that they are complementary in nature. They continue in effect today. They're intended as a blessing for humanity. We believe that all the spiritual gifts listed in scripture are available without respect to gender, that both men and women are encouraged to exercise those gifts as the spirit leads them, empowers them, but that scripture reserves the office of elder and the weekly preaching ministry within the local church for men. This position is described best as complementarian. We hold this for a number of reasons, scriptural reasons. I'll read Ephesians 5. It's well known. Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head, hierarchy, head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he addresses the roles of both there. And then there's scripture also in which Paul limits the office of elder to men. 
And so we see distinct roles, complementary roles, in home and church. John preached over... When did you preach on this, John? You did a, a terrific job. Was it summer in yeah, Colossians? Yeah, in Colossians. Uh, I remember listening. I was in the car and thinking, <laughs> wow, great job. <laughs> Thanks. And, um, yeah, I can't, I'm, and I, you went out to great lengths saying, you know, you'd vote for a woman president, you know, uh, and... I might, and, well, and it, <laughs> just, my point just is, this because is a, she's a, uh, a woman doesn't mean I wouldn't, right? So, or or, or a you CEO in, a, in right. business, or right. an officer of the law, or yes. All right. So, this type of role differentiation is not discrimination because demons, discrimination is an unjust or prejudicial treatment of a group, and women are not being excluded unjustly or prejudicially. Here's the distinction I want to grow. I want to say scripture is addressing the design of God at creation. The church is unique. Men and women's roles in the church are unique, just as the family is unique and men and women's roles are unique. So to the listener who asked this question, I would ask, is it discriminatory that Jesus came to earth and the Father did not? So there's, my point is, there's role differentiation within the Trinity, uh, is it discriminatory that Jesus is the head of the church and, there, and that no human is, that God is the head of the church? In other words, there is a design given by God. Is it discriminatory that Jews were chosen first for salvation? Romans 1.16. Was, was God discriminating against the Canaanites? And we know that God doesn't discriminate. He doesn't play favorites. So I I think we have to come to terms with, and, and I understand that there's difference of opinion here, that, that there, is des, there is the design of God in the world. In other words, um, to what extent do we see the design of God? And, and my best reading of Paul is that there was clearly design uh, that men are to lead, have unique roles in home and church, at, and because it's design-oriented um, and set up by God, it's not discrimination, as we would define discrimination. Anyone else? I always feel like I have to say something. <laughs> Please, uh, speak for all the women on the planet I'm right now, Simone. not speaking for all the women on the planet no, on any kidding. level. And if, I, you read this question at first, and you think it's a woman who wrote it, and then like your heart not, just is so yeah. tender at the end when he says, this is for my wife and yeah. my daughter. Um, and I have two daughters. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I didn't mean that defensively. I, I know the tensions yeah. it can create yeah. and the yeah. hard work that's needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. Um, I continue to wrestle with this question. I have no, uh, I've, I have such a peace about having a complementarian marriage that mm -hmm. makes sense to me. It, I, I'm living it. I, uh, as best as we, Anthony and I can, you know, um, live that out. Um, I still struggle with what that looks like in a church. And I, I know I can, it's safe here for me to be transparent, but what I always say to anyone who asks me what, how I feel, how you go to a church that's elder-led where women are not a part of the board, um, how do you feel about that knowing where I am passionate about women in leadership? So um, 
I always, and this is just for that woman who's listening, wrestling through this, is that I just always come back to where, how do I feel and believe God feels about me? And that is enough for me to live in this tension and not know if I agree or not agree or if there there are some days I do and some days I don't like I just I feel like it's okay for me to wrestle through this theologically without doubting my value and worth as a woman before God and so I would just say that too and I say this I also have two daughters one of them's old enough to be thinking about this so Mm -hmm. it's an it's also a way for me to dialogue with her and her friends who are wrestling through their own it's hard I have found it's harder for women who are more outgoing in their personalities who have leadership skills Mm. to be told you can only go so far in the church. And so um, I have never thought of it as discrimination. I always think of it as a interpretation of theology over whether or not I feel discriminated against. I would never say that. So to the woman who's questioning or asking her role, I would remind her that her value and her uniqueness and everything that makes her unique and beautiful as a person, as a woman is, is not touched or stained because of this theological perspective. Yeah. How would you explain to our listeners, um, your complementarian marriage? Oh, geez. Just, I mean, maybe just, it doesn't have to be crazy. Like, you know, I, I just, I mean, you know, you said Can that. Can I take a stab at it? Do you still refer to Anthony as Lord? I Lord. do. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm saying, I think there, there may be some folks wrestling with this who hear that and just think mm-hmm. doormat. You oh must my, be a doormat. Well, they don't know me. And, and I was going to say, and so you clearly don't know Simone. <laughs> but, okay, but then other people might hear that comment and be like, well, what does that mean then? How does complementarian work out if you're not a doormat, but the husband is my, the head? Like my, One of my favorite things about Anthony, and I, I'm getting to know him and I really enjoy him. Um, he's in a Bible study with me and some other things. But he, uh, when, I think the first time I met him, he said, yeah, I'm Simone's husband. That, that's how I've learned to introduce myself in the community. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely I mean we just laughed oh, I loved man. it yeah. I'm someone's yeah. husband that's how I've learned to introduce myself in the community yeah <laughs> so Kelly you, you you said you want to take a stab oh, at it as she I feel like a quick study of first century realities and how women were uh, considered property hmm. when, when you when you know that contextual reality and you read Paul's words husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her then you realize how radical is Paul's call in his context and it's still radical 21 centuries later the notion so you said a minute ago something about I'm I'm really pro-women or Women in leadership. Women in leadership. Mm-hmm. I'm really pumped and pro women in leadership. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I don't think you can be a complementarian um, and and lording it over your church. Mm-hmm. You can't be a complementarian and not serving and in laying your life down. Mm-hmm. Okay, five examples of your... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the, honestly, the first thing that You're comes to mind hook. is that it's so easy 
to be in a complementarian marriage mm-hmm. when you're married to someone like Anthony. I mean, he is literally the most selfless person that I know. So it's easy, I say, um, because his interests always are to serve me and to lift me up. And so that inspires me to want to do the same for him. I think we are compliment we are compliments compliments to each other in the sense of what can I do to give you life and to encourage you to live out your gifts to glorify God and all that and how can I serve you in doing that? And I it's it's it goes both ways. So I would say we have a really intentional and we've worked really hard to get to the point where we are, where we have a partnership. Um, but at the end of the day, if it came down to, you know, a decision had to be made or, you know, something in, t- to where one of us had to take that step, I would follow him and his discernment and his wisdom, you know, to the ends of the earth. And I, I can say that with such confidence because I know how God's empowered him to lead and to lead me, which apparently is not easy to do. So, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. God's just really has blessed our marriage to where it hasn't been this incredible tension between the two of us. He's just such a good person. This design versus discrimination issue mm-hmm. is at the heart mm-hmm. of the entire LGBTQ discussion. Yeah. So the, the notion that there is no design and there's a gender free-for-all, there's no true gender assignment, I mean... This question is a great question. It's a fair question. Um, it, but it, it's at the heart of a much larger cultural discussion about whether design does exist mm. and who is the designer and what authority does mm-hmm. he have over my life? Mm-hmm. To what degree must I admit there are design constraints? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things as simple as men can't have babies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the chromosomal issue uh, differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, you know, I think it's yeah. Connecticut where the number one state runner, female, has now quit because there's a man that's taking all the medals. I think it's swimming. Is it swimming? Mm-hmm. So it, this issue of is mm-hmm. it discriminatory mm-hmm. to identify design is, is a broad, broad issue mm-hmm. in culture. And... <clears throat> And I think yeah. it's something the church needs to be mm-hmm. able to address. One other thing about it that I think you're touching on is that we forget to celebrate who we are and our masculine and feminine roles and design. And sometimes that's where, you know, if you label someone masculine or label someone feminine, then you're, you're you know, people don't want to be put in a box. There's some more fluid around that. But I would say that in, uh, in our marriage, like we celebrate the differences that we have in our interests and um, how we spend our time and the, fa- the things that make him him and the things that make me me is, is something that we celebrate versus feeling like there always has to be this equality. It's not, I don't question my equality around Anthony. We have different interests and um, hopes and dreams and yet they're still... Gifts compl- and callings. Gifts and callings. And they, they are enmeshed. In, I mean, we've been married for almost 19 years now so sometimes it kind of you kind of forget where one of us starts and the other one ends and um again i just want to make sure i say that that it comes at a a, it's a lot of work this wasn't it's not like our life is just so easy breezy i mean we have spent a lot of time in therapy and a lot of discussions and hard times you know so it's but at the end of the day i feel like it is the greatest gift to be in in the marriage and and when you said you would follow him to the ends of the earth or whatever you ordered Mm -hmm. it like that doesn't mean that simone helping comes home pops open a bottle of wine, has some bonbons, 
you know, know. And then, uh, I mean, well, I do, I do, I mean, I do, I do like a glass of wine. And a glass of wine. But you know, it's not like like that was yeah. probably preceded by yeah. hundreds of conversations where yeah. Anthony yeah. knows exactly where you stand on whatever mm-hmm. issue that you guys are going into it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? and like, we're still I mean, very much learning and evolving. We haven't figured yeah. it out, but yeah. anyway, but that's a marriage. Let's not talk about the church because that's a different <laughs> topic. All right, let's go to the last one. We're going to hit this real quick. Can you expand upon the background of Jew and Gentile? It could, I think it could help those who don't have the knowledge slash background. Yeah, I can tackle this really quickly because I talked about it on Sunday and didn't go into a lot of the detail. But um, I think it's the best way to kind of say it. And if you are a Jewish scholar or an Old Testament historical scholar, and you, uh, you're not going to be satisfied perhaps with what I'm going to say so I get it there's a lot of there's a lot of detail and nuance and all that but real basic at a basic level the Jews were called out and made separate from the rest of humanity by God so God identified Abraham and he built a nation the nation of Israel the Jewish people um, and the idea was to create a holy nation the words are used a light on a hill a gift to the world this people that he chose and called out. And then eventually he would bring the Messiah from that people, that nation. And so there's language throughout the Old Testament where there's instructions given to the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, to remain pure, to remain separate. There's, you know, don't intermarry. And there's, um, there's these uh, pictures of war where they go in and they completely destroy a, a, another group of people um, and, as to not be... Um, uh, tainted by that, those people to remain pure and to remain um, separate. And so that, that's kind of the foundation of this divide between the nation, the, the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, and then the rest of the world, which would be the broader category of Gentile. Uh, but I would say that much of the, the treatment of Gentiles, the racism that we talked about and, and many scholars have talked about that had developed between the Jewish people and the Gentiles, that's not of God. That was not God's design. Um, this idea of being separate is a part of God's design, but there's all sorts of teaching in the Old Testament about how you treat your neighbor the alien in your midst, the Gentile living amongst you, the foreigner. There's all sorts of talk in the law about, um, about how the, the Israelites were, were to live. And so there's also, I think, Kelly, maybe, I don't know if you know more about this than I do, but I think there, there's always been a way in God's design for non-Jewish by, by um, birth uh, those who are non-Jewish to be able to be a part of the the kingdom of God, although until Christ it was a second-class sort of mm. part of the family of God. So in the makeup of the temple, you can go to the temple and worship, but you do so in the court of the Gentiles. Yeah. So there's there's a separation that you can still honor, worship, and know God, and yet not be. Those, as Paul says in, in Galatians, n- those who are near to him, the Jews were near to him. The Jew, you talked about earlier, Kelly, the Jews were first in line, chosen. Um, 
but still, there's, there's always been a, a position, although a second-class position for the Gentiles, until Christ. After Christ, the promise to Abraham is fulfilled, and then there's no divisions at all yeah. based on Jew and Gentile. So that's just a kind of a basic overview. That's good. Of it. All right. Well, Kelly's about to eat his computer, so <laughs> that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text next little podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you for listeners tuning in. It's been a great season these last three weeks. I think our listenership has doubled in the last three weeks, so I appreciate all that dialogue. And I really, I'm praying that it produces a harvest of righteousness among us. Thanks. Prophecy.